You can grab your Bibles and open up to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 7. James, chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, we were away for a few weeks on vacation. Wasn't it a blessing last week to have uh, Mike Kiowski, one of our elders over there, bring the word and preach the sermon? Let's encourage him. I actually uh, ducked in to the second service last week because I couldn't wait to taste a maple bacon cupcake. Were you here for that last week? There were maple bacon cupcakes. There are still some in the fridge. Eat if you dare. (laughs) But it was a blessing to hear Mike preach. And then Pastor Jeremy preached two weeks ago. That was his first sermon ever here teaching uh, grown-ups. He always teaches the youth. But didn't he do a good job? Yeah. So find him. Make sure that you encourage him. Uh, I'm sure that he'll be blessed by that. We are in the book of James. uh, And... Our family just got back from uh, Disney. We went there primarily because our uh, oldest child, Ellie, graduated eighth grade, so we wanted to take a bigger trip. So we went to Disney, and we ran in to uh, the new villain of the Star Wars universe, Kylo Ren. Have you seen the new Star Wars movie? Yeah? All right, so check it out. Here's a picture of my son, Jared, meeting Kylo. Uh, And Kylo is clearly not at all happy to meet us. I don't know how they got him here for the photo shoot. He lives in a galaxy far, far away, and it was a long time ago, but he was there, and so he took some pictures with us, but he was clearly walking around the room, mean, staring at us, and he actually talked to us, too. He took the pictures, and then they told us to get out, and on our way out, my daughter Cassie, who's my middle child, looked over her shoulder and said, nice dress. (laughs) Thankfully, he didn't use the force And we got out there safely, but uh, being in the presence of someone who is such a masterful villain, such a dark character, uh, was really something. And it made me wonder, as I prepared this sermon this week, what would it be like if we could actually meet the Prince of Darkness himself, Satan, the villain of all humanity? What would it be like if we could actually look eye to eye with the being responsible for ruining us. What would it feel like to be in the presence of Satan himself? I think he would look dazzling. More attractive than anyone you've ever seen on this planet. I think you would be tremendously endeared to him. I think he would seem like one of the kindest individuals you've ever met in your life. His voice would probably soothe you. And you would walk away feeling like you truly were just in the presence of a great being. Because he's a master of deception. You have to be ready for temptation. Because Satan doesn't play fair. And he's always in disguise. And as we talk about trials, if your faith is going to grow strong in the fire, you need to understand that it's when you are at your lowest and weakest that he shows up. And what he brings with him looks pretty attractive. Feels like a way out. Doesn't sound too bad. If you don't understand the nature of temptation and the character of the being who's trying to ruin you, you'll fall for it every time. James finally gets around to talking about the devil here in chapter 4. Leading up to this point, he's talked about demonic wisdom indirectly, but he hasn't quite talked about Satan himself. Finally, he comes up here, and you have to be ready. James is helping these churches 
and us experience spiritual maturity and lasting victory and unbreakable unity. Let me ask you, do you want to enjoy lasting spiritual victory? Do you want to enjoy spiritual maturity, leaving behind the childish ways of your early faith? Do you want to know the joy of unity and and letting go of the exhausting pattern of conflict with those around you? Because I'm like, amen, amen, amen. How do I get that? Well, if you're going to get that, we have to be ready for spiritual attack. The message today is called Resist the Devil. God is going to help us find spiritual victory in our lives. But let's pray first, and then we'll find out how. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you warn us of the true realities that exist in the spiritual realm, which we can't see with our own eyes. We understand that you tell us the truth for our good. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to... Uh, Find strength and maturity and unity. We know that comes from you. Help us to know, Lord, how we keep falling for things again and again. Help us to know why we're not more mature, more confident, more faithful. And Lord, we just pray that you would truly do a work in this room this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, we're in James 4, verse 7. James 4, verse 7. It says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Notice here, if you're a careful reader, then verse 8, which Mike Kioski preached last week, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves. Then it says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. So it begins and ends with the command to do something. What's that word? I'll give you a hint. It starts with an H and ends with an humble. Any, any takers? Humble yourself before the Lord. That's the whole point. If you want to achieve spiritual victory, lasting unity, maturity, we have to begin by humbling ourselves or we have no chance against the attack. So write this down first. Humbly trust God. Humbly trust Him. Now you have to see the word therefore in verse 7 is looking back. Pastor Jeremy talked about the flesh. It says in 4 verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? The flesh is a Bible word, and it means the part of you that is still attracted to sin. The part of you that still finds sin to be appetizing. Why do I still get drawn to that sin like a bug to the bug light? Well, it's because the flesh in you craves that sin. Then Mikeowski preached about the world. The world is the human system Uh, of culture and government, arts and entertainment that is set against God and it manufactures ways for you to satisfy every desire of your flesh in a sinful manner. That's the world. Therefore, because the flesh flares up with sinful desires and the world is right there cranking out the sin, you must humble yourself before God. You don't have the strength or the wisdom or the power to win 
because you're up against things that are too strong. The word submit means to put yourself under the authority of. Put under, place under the authority of God. It means you're ranking yourself under his sovereign rule. It could also mean that you're lowering yourself, visibly lowering yourself uh, before God because he is the king and you are his servant. But it begins with humility. Your spiritual well-being begins deep down in the secret places of your soul where you decide what you truly believe about God. And if you believe he's good and he can be trusted, then you will obey him. If you believe that he can't be trusted, then you'll sin. Listen, maybe you grew up in a church where most of the commands about sin focused on external. Stop drinking. No card playing. Wear this fabric. No movies. As if sin was simply what you do on the outside. If you can clear all that up, then you'd be rid of sin. That's not true. Sin comes from deep within you. You actually will never sin until you believe a lie about God. So therefore, you have to track all the sins on the outside. Why did I just shout at my kid? Why did I just lie to my boss? Track those all the way back down into your heart because there's a lie that's lurking behind every sin. Here's a picture of a battle going on. Look at this. This is a gun and the ground is shaking and there's there's ammunition, artillery flying all around. Why? Because it's a war. Believing the truth about God is a war in your heart. There is a war for faith in your heart. And Satan is trying to destroy what you believe about God. Here's another picture. It's an aircraft firing off all these flares so that it doesn't get shot down out of the sky. And uh, isn't that an awesome picture? And that's what's going on inside of you. We're going to have to resist the devil because he's bringing it. He's coming. He's targeting, aiming, firing every day. At what? Primarily at what you believe to be true about God. It was a lie about God that snuck sin into the universe in the first place. And it's a lie about God that will lead you into every sin. This is a big deal. This is the most important part of the sermon right here. The heart of all temptation is the lie that God is failing to take perfect care of you. You will not sin until you believe that God has somehow, is somehow, will somehow fail to take perfect care of you. Then when you've concluded that he is to blame, you will reach for a boost called sin. You need to reach for sin when you feel like God won't give you satisfaction. He won't satisfy your desires, your needs for pleasure or comfort or love. So you reach for sin. You also reach for sin, and so do I, when we feel like God is not giving us security. He's not controlling us or our family or our finances. And so so to get more security than God can give me, I'm going to reach for sin. But we always sin because we think it will take us to a better place. You sin and I sin because we believe the lie that God has stopped short of taking perfect care of us. The truth is, God has always only taken perfect care of you every moment of your life. But the moment I say that, your heart objects. 
and you reach for some pain of the past, or you think about a problem right now, how did this get into my life? Or you um, consider a horrific possible future that you have invented in your own imagination, which isn't true. And based on these things, you blame God. Then you conclude he can't be completely trusted. And as you carry around that lie with you, that's what leads you into all sin. So you look for a boost. You look somewhere else for a boost in control. How do I get control over my finances, control over my children, control? How do I get it? And you're willing to reach for a boost called sin. Contentment. How do I feel at peace? How do I find rest? How can I be happy? And you reach for a boost called sin because you don't think God will give it to you. It's the lie about God that leads you into all sin. The truth, though, is that Jesus alone can bring security and satisfaction to your soul. He's the only place you'll find it. And we'll wear ourselves out looking elsewhere. The big one, the big lie to believe is God has stopped short of taking perfect care of me. You believe that before you do any sin. But there are different forms of this lie. So let's say there are four lesser lies that you can jot down right now. These aren't in your notes. These are bonus notes. You get extra credit in heaven for writing down the notes that aren't already in your bulletin. Four major lies that we believe about God. First one is this. God is not fair. If I trust him, people are going to keep pushing me around. They're going to get away with it. I need to take control and make things right. I'm going to tell them how I feel. I'm going to tell her the way it is. Anger is the telltale sign that you believe this lie about God. He's not fair. It's not right. I'm going to make it right. You don't believe the truth about God's justice. You're being lied to. The next one is God is not fun. That's not fun. If I follow him, I'm going to have to live an unhappy life. All my friends are having fun. They're going out to parties. I'm not going. God's going to take all the fun out of my life. Then he's going to make me marry a boring person. Then I'm going to have no fun for the rest of my life. He's just a big old straitjacket up in the sky, taking my happy away, standing in the way of my fun. The telltale sign of believing this lie is you're rowdy and restless, chasing after the thrills the world has to offer, never content and satisfied. Then comes the pain, then comes the disease, then comes the humiliation. Turns out, fun is God's thing. And he was warning you about pain. God is not fair. God is not fun. The next lie is God is not good. He's not good. If I follow him, this will end terribly. If I totally trust him, I know exactly where this is going to go. He's not going to fix this. He's not going to show up. He's not good. The hallmark of believing this lie is depression, sadness, sorrow. And as you sink into this sadness and you stop singing of God's greatness and bite your lip instead of telling him how amazing he is, it becomes clear to everyone around you that you are protesting God's sovereign rule over your life because you believe a lie. 
You don't think he'll work all things out for the good of those who love him. Certainly not for you. You're being lied to. And you're holding your worship hostage. My praise isn't coming out till I get what I want. Then I'll sing. You're holding your worship hostage until God gives you what you want. And that's sin. And it's because you believe God's not good. The last lie is God's not reliable. If I trust him, he won't get the job done right. Okay, so I'm going to... I'm going to do it, and God can be the plan Z. Like, I'm going to get, I get A through Y, and I'm going to do all this and all this and all this, and then, and then after I've done all this, then I'll let God do the end of it. But, uh, but I'm going to make sure my kids all turn out okay, and I'm going to helicopter them and call them and text them and worry about them, and then, and then at the end say, Lord, protect them, amen. And God's my plan Z. Sometimes I'm preaching to myself here because this is the big one that I believe, Right? And, and I'm going to do everything I can first and then, and then just let God touch it at the end of the day. Maybe sometimes I let God be the plan A and I talk to him about it first, but then I'm B through Y and then I give him Z again. But the vast majority of what I'm putting my hope in is my work. Anxiety is the telltale sign that you struggle with this lie feverishly fretting. Oh, how's it going to work out financially? How's it going to work out financially? I just don't even know. How's God going to provide for them? Ulcer, ulcer, ulcer. Faithless, faithless, faithless. When did God put you in control of anything? He's God. You're not. So we worry and we worry and we worry. Why? Because we think God's not reliable. He's going to fumble. We're going to help him. Yeah, sure you are. He's very thankful for all of the help you give him throughout the day. He couldn't do it without you. Which lie is it that you believe? God's not fair. He's not fun. He's not good. He's not reliable. If you're like, well, none of them. I'm actually pretty good. Liar. (laughs) Ask your kids. They'll tell you which one you believe. Ask your coworkers. Humbly trust God and chase away all the lies from your heart that he can't be trusted. Here's number two. Write this down. Win your battle with temptation. You have to humbly trust him. So that's you and God. I'm humbling myself before God. But then I have to resist the devil. It says in verse 7b, uh, it says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And great news, he will flee from you. He will flee from you. That's an amazing promise. This isn't like talking about the get used to it. He's going to be on your back every moment of every day. No, this is talking about a decisive win. You resist. He runs for the hills. And the word for flee means like you look around the New Testament and flee means like running from certain death. Like people flee and run at top speed when they know they're in big trouble. When you stand your ground and resist him, he runs, you win. What a promise. Have you read in the New Testament how strong demons are? One demon can rip your arm off. You have no power against them, but you stand your ground in the strength of Christ, they can't stop you. Well, if that's true, why do I experience so much defeat? Why do I feel so weak? It's because of the lies. It's the lies. So you have to resist the devil and believe the truth about God. 
Satan wants you to resist God and trust and embrace the world. See, he wants to reverse it. He wants you to be fighting with God, wrestling with God, warring with God, trusting all that the world has for you. That's his plan. All right, who is Satan? I'm supposed to be resisting him. Who is he? We do believe that the Bible teaches that there is a real spiritual being. He has a mind. He has emotions. He has a will. He's a being. He's a person. Spiritual being named Satan, Lucifer, Prince of Darkness. He, right now, is working to ruin your life. Right now, he's working to ruin your life by chasing away everything I'm saying to you. When the Bible uses the word Satan, uh, it's a figurative, you know, uh, literary device to use one word to stand for a group, okay? So, you know, if I say that the Bears won last weekend, well, it could have been one player who carried the ball across the, the goal line, but, but they say the Bears won, right? So when it, the Bible says Satan, it includes all of the demons who are with him. So it's not like Satan himself is sitting on the end of your bed every morning, well, hello, you know, I'm grateful for that, but his buddies are just as bad, okay? So he stands for a whole spiritual community that has risen up against God in the heavenly places. The Bible says there was war in heaven. I don't know what that looks like, all right? It's not like they have nunchucks, you know, but there was war in heaven because Satan was originally an angel, okay? It says in Luke ten eighteen, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was good. He went bad. He was beautiful and glorious. His purpose when God made him was that he would serve humanity, teach humanity the truth, protect us, and he doesn't want to do that. He thought God's throne looks awfully comfy, and he wanted to take it for himself. But he lost. So now his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good. He knows his doom is certain and near, and he wants to ruin you. The devil is the direct opponent to God, chief antagonist of the church, primary ally of the world. You have history with him. John 5.19 tells us this, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You live in a world that's under his power. You started off being a card-carrying member of his kingdom. Something needed to change that. Only Jesus could do it. In Colossians 1.13, it says this, He, Jesus, has, uh, or God, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He revoked your citizenship in the kingdom of the enemy and He entered you into the roles of citizens of Christ's kingdom. That's called conversion. That has to happen at some point in your life, and your parents can't do that for you. You have to rise up and say, I'm done with this, turn, and you have to trust Christ as Savior. Then you become a citizen of heaven. So you have to first win the battle with leaving the world behind. Only then can you win your battles with temptation. Satan loses all power over you. You can then stand your ground like a, like a Roman army. You could stand your ground when he comes at you and he will bounce off and run away. But before you're saved, you go down every time. You just have no power. Now again, we have to make sure when we're tempted that we realize that by the time sin gets outside, we've lost the battle already. 
the battle is deeply within you, what you believe about God, okay? So what are some of the attitudes, what are some of the emotions, the predispositions we have, the battlegrounds of the heart? Well, let me ask you this. Are you experiencing an extended season of victory over, for example, envy? Would you say that you're still resenting what you see in the lives of others? Longing for the other person's freedom from suffering or their life looks so much better. Are you in your heart comparing and complaining? Or have you learned the joy of contentment? Embracing the life, the family, the job God has given you. Being thankful and grateful right here, right now. Not moaning about God's failure to take perfect care of you. How are you doing at winning the battle with envy? Envy is not a minor league sin. It was out of envy that they threw Christ on the cross. This is the day the Lord has made. Will you rejoice and be glad in it? Envy. How are you doing at rising up and winning the battle over greed? Are you experiencing an extended season of victory over greed? Is your heart flooded with the desire, the hunger for more, more money, newer stuff, Better and bigger, are you, are you day and night lusting after the stuff of this life or are you winning the battle against greed? Are you becoming more generous, seeing people in need, parting with some of what God has given you so that others can do better? Are you generous toward God, knowing that way back from the Garden of Eden, they brought offerings into the presence of the Lord? He built it into humanity from day one where he loves when people give to him. This is ABCs of faith. Have you learned the joy of giving to the Lord generously because he has generously given you everything? Do you trust him to provide for you every month? Or do you doubt and doubt and sink into debt and overspend and fear and fight? Are you winning the battle with greed or losing the battle with greed? Are you experiencing an extended season of victory over sloth? Sloth is the selfish, still pattern of behavior where you refuse to serve others, sinking into mindless, useless, selfish trance, hours and hours of wasted time in front of screens or, or doing things that amount to nothing of eternal value, focusing on you, and then days and months and eventually years are wasted away as you simply take care of you. Or are you breaking a sweat for your family? Are you breaking a sweat for your marriage? Are you breaking a sweat for your church and realizing that it's better to serve than to be served? How are you doing at winning the battle decisively over sloth? What about lust? What are you doing in your imagination with people who are not married to you? Are you then seeking out Images and videos, maybe flirting in real life with people who don't belong to you. Have you enjoyed one week of spiritual victory over lust in your life? Have you known the satisfaction of your first month of purity? Have you gone on to celebrate your first year, your first five years of victory over bondage to lust? Well, this is good news because if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But maybe you stop fighting. 
Maybe you're flat on your back. The three count is long over. You've got to get back up because God will give you the victory. How? How can I do that? Well, humbly trust God. Win your battle with temptation. Number three, write this down. Repent of known sins. We have here a descriptive portrait of repentance in verses 8 and 9. It says this. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So that's the first one, the idea of distance. Uh, Here's a picture of the Grand Canyon. I got to go there. And there you see a guy taking pictures close to the edge. And then do you see way, 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 way on the horizon, like the, the furthest horizon, that ledge up there? All right, so imagine if God is standing there in the horizon on that ledge and you are standing right there next to that photographer. That's what sin does to you. Separates you from God. You can't just walk over to Him. There's no way for you to get to Him. We all start far, far, far away from God. We don't know Him. We've never enjoyed victory. We've never been close to Him. And it's because we sin. Check it out. Here's a picture of me close to the edge. (gasps) That's actually a lie. That the camera is angled correctly, but there's a giant slab underneath that edge. It just, <laughs> just looks like I'm right here. Oh! Right? But look, that, that is a picture of what sin does to your relationship with God. God's way over there on the horizon standing, and you have no way of coming close to Him. You have to repent of known sins. Otherwise, they'll take you away from God forever. Isaiah 59, 2 echoes this. It says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins, get this, have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I always marvel when actors, actresses stand up, they win awards, and they say, Well, I know God's been with me every step of the way, and I'm thinking there's like no fruit of faith in your life at all. But you're talking as if God is your best friend and your biggest fan. I wonder what they would say if I read Isaiah 59 too, where it says, you know what? God can't see you and can't hear you because of your sin. Do you agree with that? Well, of course they wouldn't. This is what the Bible teaches. Your sin covers God's eyes, covers God's ears. Nothing is going on between the two of you until you repent. Now that's true of you The moment that you're born, something has to change to bring you to God. God did something to bring you to him, and that's he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Thankfully, the great news is in Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? That means by his death on the cross, he bridged the gap, and through faith in him, you can be brought near to God because your sins are taken away. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. I was so far from him, and he sent his son because he loved me to bring me back to him. But you have to turn away from your sins and repent in order to receive the free gift of eternal life. Have you done that? Have you repented of known sins? Have you gotten face down in front of God and said, it's true, all of it's true. I've lived for myself. I've sinned. I deserve to go to hell. Save me. If you've repented, then God has received you into his kingdom. If not, maybe that's what he brought you here to do today. 
It says then, it goes from distance to another image. It says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. What great news that is. Then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So now there's this idea of cleansing that comes when we repent of our sin. So I'm like dirty, filthy, maybe because of injustice, maybe because of my words, maybe because of my uh, sexual sins. I'm filled with filth. It's a way of God describing to you who you really are spiritually. Check it out. Here's a picture of somebody who's filthy. This is uh, called the Tough Mudder Run. They run through obstacles, jump into mud. Here's another picture of a guy here. They go under barbed wire. People are in our own church are crazy enough to do this. They do. And they get filthy. And what you're looking at there is you. I'm seeing myself. That's a mirror. And God says, you can't come into my presence like that. So you need to be washed. And when you repent, Jesus cleanses you of all of your sin. This is true for non-believers who are unsaved. But listen, Christian, when you slip into sin, you get dirty. And the only way for you to get clean again is to go to the cross of Christ and to ask him for forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. We have to purify our hearts. The idea of purify, to me, just reminds me of water purification. I told you a few weeks ago what was going on in Flint, Michigan. Our whole city got poisoned, and uh, kids got sick because of it, because the government was corrupt. Now, all the Chicago public schools are checking their water supply, right? And they found, I think, last I checked, up to like 32 schools that have problems in their water now. So they're calling all these parent meetings, and at one meeting, only one parent showed up. So they don't care about the poison that's going into the school. It's entering in to harm the body. And I wonder, do you care when God says that even the smallest sins poison the well of your heart? Do you care? Do you care about the pollution? Well, it's not a big sin. It's a little sin. It's not a lethal dose. There's no such thing as a non-lethal dose of sin. Ultimately, poisons the whole. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. We've got to get rid of all the sin that's found inside. Then we have to prove that our repentance is genuine. It says in verse 9, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. This is, this is, you would see it. You could see that the person is turning away from sin and mourning what they've done to God. The fruit is tears and sorrow. Let me ask you a question. If you want to experience victory over sin maturity spiritually, if you want to experience the unity that only God can provide, are you willing to walk around your, your life and say, where have I left a door unlocked? Meaning, where am I being negligent? Where am I being careless? And the enemy can really get me. Or, even worse, where have I flung a door wide open and the lion can come straight in. I mean, if people knew about this part of you or what you were doing, the door is wide. A garage door has been opened up for the enemy. Where are you vulnerable? Yes, what are you doing? But where's what heart? Where in your heart are you vulnerable? Well, there's great news. If you humbly trust God, if you want to win your battle with temptation, if you repent of known sin, write this down, number four, believe God will lift you up. He will receive you in his presence and he will lift you up. It says here in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is astonishing. 
the fact that I'm even allowed to come into his presence is so great. And then, and then I kneel down and I'm, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have sinned. And then the fact that he actually lifts me up, he could just say, just stay there. Just stay there. Till you die, just stay there. But he lifts us up. He welcomes us. He cleanses us. He, Wow. Hey, if you've been wavering in any area of your life, if you're going through a trial and Satan is tempting you to trust the world's plan, listen, it's time to take a stand, to turn around, to turn away from your sin and turn and trust God that he alone can get you through it. When we go on vacation, I think on average, I probably make 20 U-turns a trip. We rent a car, we drive around, and I get lost. Even now that I have a piece of technology that links me to a satellite in space and gives me a blinking dot to show me where I am, I still get lost. And so then I have to make a U-turn. And I've become quite good at (laughs) U-turns. I learned it from my father. He was very good at U-turns. He said he learned it in the service. My dad once made a U-turn using only his knees. Don't try that. <laughs> but this last trip, we were making a U-turn, and uh, my, my daughter said, my dad's great at U-turns. <laughs> Apparently, it's something I'm going to be known for in future generations. <laughs> I bring that up because repentance means turning around. Repentance means U-turn. Going toward my own pain, disaster, doom, unhappiness, turn around, go back God's way. And I would love for you to be able to tell me, Pastor Ryan, I'm great at spiritual U-turns. My kids know it. My wife knows it. I'm great. When I recognize Satan's got me, fooled me, I'm going, I just turn right around. I'd love for our whole church to be great at U-turns. Oops, Satan always fools you. Made a wrong choice. Turn around. Humbly admitting that it's time for a turn. Where are you failing to trust God? Where are you failing to believe that God and God alone can get me through this, get us through this? If you want to become spiritually mature, if you want to enjoy spiritual victory, if you want to know the unity that comes from true love in the church, You've got to resist the devil. He will flee. That's great news. He will flee and lift you up. But you've got to turn. 1 Peter 5, 6-8 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. That's the word for this morning. I remember Pastor James McDonald saying something that was profound. He said, secrecy is the enemy of victory. It's really true. I want to give you a way where you can seek out victory this morning. Let me tell you how that can be done. First, you have to be honest with God. You have to go to God You have to tell him the truth about your sin. He already knows it. You're not informing him of anything. You have to go to him 
and you have to tell him the truth about your sin. Then, James will tell us in chapter 5, you have to confess your sins to one another. You have to find a spiritually mature person who you trust and respect. You have to say, listen, I'm losing this battle. I need you to help me. You've got to find someone who you trust, who you can ask for help. If you do that, you'll begin to know the strength and the peace of victory. But it starts today as you trust God and you talk to him about your sin. We're going to pray right now. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads. And I want you to see this as an opportunity to talk to God. Prayer is just simply talking to to God. And he loves you and he loves to listen to you. God is always available to you. He's always emotionally available to you. He's always willing to hear your heart. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. The worship team's going to come up. But it's not done yet. God's not done yet. I'd like us right now to think of what it is that God's pointing to in our lives. What lie are you believing? And I want you to talk to him about that. What are you afraid of? Where are you slipping? And I want you to consider doing something here this morning as you bow your heads, as we all take a moment here and pray. If you feel like it's been going on too long, if you feel like there's no way God wants to hear about this now, or or if you feel like the weight that you're bearing is just too heavy, I want to give you an opportunity to just, as you're praying, just, just turn and kneel down right there by your chair and show the Lord, I'm humbling myself, I'm lowering myself so that you will lift me up. This is your chance to show God that you're coming close. This is your way to show him that you're drawing near and it's been too long. This is too heavy for you. He wants you to cast all of your cares upon him. Some of you are still clinging to the pride that you got this and you're dead wrong. It's time to let it go. Kneel down. Talk to him about it. some are here this morning maybe you doubt that you even know God maybe you have never experienced a full and final break with your past you've never let go of your life in the world and turned away from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light maybe today's the day that you call out to Jesus and say save me forgive me maybe this is your chance to repent for the first time not of one sin or a few sins but of all of them This is your chance to talk to God.
Father, humbly we're drawing near to you and lowering ourselves because we trust that you are good. You alone can provide us with the security we need. You alone can give our hearts the joy we crave. We just pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for running to the world. Forgive us for drifting from you. Forgive us when we believe the lies that you're not good, that you're not strong, that you're not able. Forgive us for that. We pray that you would renew our faith. Receive us into your presence and lift us up. And Father, for those who are realizing today that they are far from you and need a Savior, they may want to pray something like this right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to bring me to God. May you wash away all of my sins, and they are many. Give me forgiveness and welcome me into your kingdom. Father, I pray for anyone who is asking for salvation today. May you fill their hearts with joy as they know that you will never leave them or forsake them. We pray that you would help us to resist the devil. Give us victory time and time again. Lift us up out of defeat. Show us the power of the spirit that you've placed in us. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.